0: Oh, great. Yeah, should we, should we turn the video off? We can turn the video off. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I've been following you guys since I heard about you guys at Women in Language last year. Oh, thanks for having us, Chanel. It's really fun to be here with you.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us, Chanel.
1: Oh, thank you so much for coming on. I'm, I've been trying to get new people that haven't been interviewed. Just because there's so many people that have been interviewed by everybody, and I'm, I'm like, I just want a different take on it, you know, from someone that I haven't talked to, like.
2: Yeah, totally. I understand exactly where you're coming from. It's nice, fresh, fresh voices or something like that.
1: <laughs> oh oh yeah. And, and for me, it's like I'm. This is like probably episode 152. Oh, oh wow, my that's huge! Yeah, yeah and congratulations! Still, thank you. I just celebrated my second year anniversary like last weekend. Wow! Wow! So I'm I'm like really excited, but I I also, um, you know, like listening to people's podcasts. I mean, I actually stopped listening to certain people because it was like, I love y'all, but I kind of know I know how to learn a language the way that I learned a language and it's, you know, I kind of felt like I was listening to more people instead of actually focusing on my own thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. And, yeah. and
1: I just said, as much as I love them, I got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> and find new, find new, fresh voices. And I mean, cause there's so many people out there that are learning languages and their stories need to be told. And, I was like, I've always had an affinity for Australia, Australian people as a whole. And I was like, wow, these two are actually, you know, learning languages in their own ways. I like, I like you guys' podcast is is so relatable and you guys' group is like awesome to like be in because there's no drama. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and, um, I guess, I guess Australians in general, we, we try to be no drama or at least I think, I think we do. <laughs>
1: Okay. So, I'm just curious, uh, for the people that don't know that much about you, could you introduce yourselves and tell how you guys, like, met? And yeah, done, sure. You know? Well, Beck, do you want me to go
0: first? Sure, you go first, Betty.
2: <laughs> so, I'm Penny, and, um, we, Beck and I have been kind of hanging out talking language for 18 months now, Beck. I think it is. We yeah, I think so. first came across each other at Women and Language in 2018, so two years ago. Um, and then we caught up in real life um, towards the end of that year, and we had all these chats, and we were both based in Melbourne in Australia, and we're like, oh, it's so fantastic to meet another language person in real life and to know that you exist, and it's not just me. and And we had all these chats together about, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could find other people and connect everyone and build a community and and do fun things, events and that kind of stuff. And so then Languagelovers.au, Languagelovers.au was born. um, A community of language lovers based in Australia. Um, I'll let Beck, you can... You can talk about all the stuff that's happened since then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it. That's a pretty good summary of how we met and how we started, um, becoming friends. And, um, I guess a, a lot of that discussion was we were like, we can't be the only people who are interested in languages in Australia. Like, it can't be just us. <laughs> and, um, and there is such a huge online community, um, that is That is so great too. I mean, there's just so much, there's so much help. There's so many good tips. There's lots of motivation. Um, lots of, you know, assistance and support out there online. But, um, as I guess we're finding out, especially at the moment where a lot of us aren't able to be in physical contact with lots of other people, it is nice to have in person meetings with others. And it is nice to speak with and to be in contact with other people who are very much in a, in a similar situation to you. Um, but in particular, in Australia, I think we can feel quite, quite isolated, a little bit, um, a little bit removed from lots of other places around the world. We have very tricky time zones to meet up with lots of other (laughs) places. Um, as, as you have found out, Chanel. Um, (laughs) so we're a little bit particular. I suppose in in some of our our situations here, and that also um, can impact the way you learn languages. Um, and so, yeah, as Penny said, we we were thinking about you know how can we get some people together? How can we how can we at least put them in touch with each other initially? But also, can we can we get some people in real life in person um, contexts where they can hang out and chat language, um, but also where they can get together and practice language? Not necessarily just like language meetups, which already exist, but other other different ways that they can use their languages without necessarily needing to leave the country. Right. Um, and I guess that's how we um, that's how we sort of got started with a lot of what we do now.
2: Um, so, do you want us to tell tell you a little bit about the events that we've been running? Um, sure.
1: I, you know, because it's funny you say that because, like, here in the U.S., it's not, like, readily advertised, like, if there are language events. I mean, yes, there are meetups in every city just about. But, yeah. I mean, as far as, like, a polyglot gathering or a polyglot, th- none of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably, um like, until fairly recently, um, there wasn't really anything like that here. Penny, would you agree? Like, I don't, yep. I don't really think Definitely. there's been... I aim. agree, too. Yep. Yeah. So, like, I mean, the online community, I think, connects up everyone from everywhere. And so in in that online community, like, you know, it's sort of, I guess, between us, you, you sort of found, found some people who were from somewhere nearby. And then when we started Language Lovers AU, we started finding more and more people who were located in in Australia, all Australians who are interested in language who were also located elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but there wasn't, you're right, there wasn't really a, a, a something like the Polyglot Gathering or the Polyglot Conference um, that was sort of very readily accessible in our region. Um, and, yeah, like it can be... Traveling, Australians do like to travel, but traveling from Australia is not always easy. Um, it's it's a long way to get just about anywhere. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) it's, um, it was. I I suppose for lots of people here, it may not have been completely in reach to be able to go to a larger international gathering. Um, and also they may not have known about it. Like genuinely, I suppose unless you are involved already in the online community, um, you may never have heard about something like the Polyglot Conference or Langfest or, or Polyglot Gathering before. Um, and so part, part of what we, what we have been able to do a little bit through Language Lovers AU is, I guess, get the word out there about some things like that. Um, but also we were, we were quite lucky last year that, um, Richard Simcott, who is the main organizer of the Polyglot Conference was in Australia, um, just kind of by, well, by chance, actually, in September, um, and while he was here, we were, had the opportunity to, well, he organised a, a very, a sort of a small gathering, um, that was like, kind of like a mini, um, Polygot Conference and that was the language event which has now become um, a, a little bit bigger. I guess it's sort of now moving into different different cities too but in a similar format um, and that was probably the first time at least that I know of um, that we've had an event like that in Australia where people who are all interested in languages just in general can come together and hear some people present and, and get together and chat.
2: I think the thing we were really conscious of too when we started thinking about events for language lovers was that we wanted it to be kind of informal not too scary not like a really kind of challenging language environment for people to come along and right. that's where we we came up with these two kind of concepts the language workshops and the language bites um and i i I find them really fun to talk about Beck I don't know It feels a bit sad now because we haven't been able to do one for a couple of months now because of the restrictions that we're all living in, but um language bites is a really fun event because it's it's about exposing people probably to a new culture and a new language through food
0: mm-hmm.
2: um and so that's been really fun for us to run, and so far we've done um uh, two Vietnamese language bite sessions and a Greek language bites um, session as well. So we we get together and we eat all this delicious food and we learn about the language and the culture um over over a meal. Um, yeah, you're
0: right. This it's such a fun it's such a fun event to do and it's very like entry level. It's totally open to anyone. You don't have to have any prior experience and I think that does make it such a such a fun just open experience for everyone.
1: That's so interesting you both say that because for the past like five or six months now, I've been actually learning Lebanese Arabic because we have a large Lebanese population here in Akron where I live at in Ohio here in the States, which is the Midwest. So we um, have all these different restaurants and I actually went to um Latin's, which is a Middle Eastern restaurant. And we have two locations here, and I've I've been to both. And um, I went and I spoke some Egyptian Arabic at one of the locations. And then they were like, well, we have somebody from Lebanon who speaks, you know, Lebanese Arabic. And so I said, I've got to learn this dialect so I can come back. I mean, because they were so impressed, I spoke even a little bit of Arabic. And I was ordering my food in Arabic and having a small conversation. That, That's they, that yeah. they told me to speak to the manager because the manager speaks Arabic. And I was like, awesome. And then <laughs> it, gave, it gave me the motivation. I wanted to learn how to like cook Lebanese food. So I went and joined a Facebook group on how to cook Lebanese food, a vegetarian one and, and just a regular one. And I started learning how to cook Lebanese food. I found somebody I became friends with and interviewed. Because uh, they have their own um, um facebook page website um they're arab american palestinian and um they cook their food from like the recipes are like almost two thousand years old oh, so wow. i learned I learned how to cook all these different stuff and I started taking pictures of it and posting it on Facebook. And I started learning more about the food and the language that way, you know, and then I just started going to different restaurants and ordering in different languages just so I could have some communication with people.
0: Yeah, well it goes to show I think that like the, the cultural, all of the things that surround a language are just as important as the language itself. And I think especially if you're learning, you need, you need to have that connection with the, with the culture and with the food and with with some people, um, to understand where the language fits into, you know the the kind of bigger picture. Um, right. It's you know it's not like for for lots of us who are interested in just languages in general are kind of constantly being like, oh that would be fun to learn, oh that would be a cool language, oh maybe I'll learn that now. And um, you know we're often, I suppose, intrigued by just the sounds and. And, and hearing and seeing and reading something that looks new and different and um, that we don't understand, but what, what it's more it's more than just having like a textbook and being able to say here's a language and here are the rules that make it work and these are the words that make it up. You also need to understand what is the what is the story about this? What what are the stories that sit behind it? Who are the people who who speak this and why why are particular words you know why 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 does a particular word have a meaning like this why do the sounds of that sound like they they relate to something else you know they, and there are and there are stories and there are histories and there are people and there are communities that that are that surround that language too and yeah, I mean, language bites, obviously, it is a very introductory thing. So it's just giving people just that initial taste, just a little right. a little bite of the language with a little bite of the culture with it um, and a little bite of the food, of course. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's about understanding that it's it's all part of a whole, I think.
1: Yeah, and I, I found, too, that even if you learn a little bit of the language, like Dr. Krashen always says or Steve Kaufman or um, Richard Simcock. Which I had the opportunity to interview all three of them, and I I come to understand that I did like six weeks worth of um, Cantonese um, or mango, and I just absorbed it. Like I, my whole goal was I want to pick up the phone, order me some food in Cantonese at a Chinese restaurant, and I want to give my name, address, telephone number. And I did all that after six weeks. And the person spoke Mandarin, and they understood what I said. And then I wanted to order some barbecue beef bun, so I thought I would add, I would order this barbecue beef bun. Come to find out you can't order barbecue beef bun here because it's only made in Hong Kong. <laughs> so we had a lovely laugh about it, and they was like, "You need to keep going. Your Cantonese is really good." And I thanked them and everything, and I I actually wound up ordering me. Uh, a chicken dish and she was like you only did six weeks worth of Cantonese that's pretty freaking good I'm like oh thank you yeah (laughs) that's amazing
0: yeah good on you especially
1: on the phone and
2: and and, exactly um, yeah
1: I mean I guess I set little mini goals like that because I like to go out to eat with friends but I also like to practice what I'm learning so that I'll make that a mini goal I'll go to a restaurant and I'll order some food and language and I'll see, I'll just have a mini conversation. I don't have to be like, okay, I want to talk about, you know, the history of Japan. I don't know. You know, I I just want to speak a little bit. And people go nuts when they hear me. Oh my God, you speak this? Oh my God, that looks so hard. I'm like, for me, it's it's just effortless because I'm motivated, you know. And I I try to tell my listeners all the time, and people that I work with, whether they're completely blind, visually impaired, whether they have other disabilities, or they're just able-bodied people, you know, learning a language, you know, it's a great thing. But you know, you gotta ask yourself, what do you want to do with it? Like, do you want to read in it? Do you want to write? Do you want absolutely? Yeah. Do do, do you want to make movies? You know, do you want to watch movies? what do you want to do? Do you want to cook food? Do you want to move over to the country, study? What is it? Because if you don't have a plan of action as to what you want to use it for, okay, you're spending all this time doing it, but what for? You know, yeah. what's the it's real a, reason? That's what's a good point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and food and connecting with people is such a good motivator for learning a language, well, for me anyway, and the, and the travel component as well. But you're right, Chanel. Everyone's got different motivators and and different reasons for for learning.
1: Now I have a question. Like, what when you um, decided to learn Vietnamese and you decided to create your your Vietnamese um, um, travel experience for people to be able to to learn more about, you know, Vietnam in the target language, in Vietnam, you know, how did you, I mean, did you have difficulties with getting that started? Did you already have connections?
2: Well, um, it's been, it's been a long, I guess my, my involvement and love for Vietnam has been around for a good part of my life. I first went to Vietnam back in the 90s when I was a teenager and I started learning Vietnamese back then as well. And, um, on and off over these last couple of decades. Um, I've kind of kept it up in, in bits and pieces but um, and have travelled back to the country a little bit as well. I lived there for a year and a half um, as well. And a few years ago, I was like, oh, when we started, um, I guess, being more involved in the language community in Australia and, and being exposed to everyone who was doing such amazing things through Women in Language... I was like, wouldn't it be great to, to, I guess, share some of my love for Vietnam and Vietnamese with other people? There must be some people out there who'd love to have a travel experience and, and, um, learn a little bit of the language while they're there. So I ran my first trip to Saigon and Vietnam, um, at the end of 2018. Um, I had two people come along. Um, which was fantastic, and we we did Vietnamese classes, and we did some you know exploring around the city, and we ate a lot of delicious food, um, and it was yeah really successful successful trip, and I do have another trip scheduled, unfortunately it's scheduled for the end of this year, so at the moment um that's looking likely to be postponed, so hopefully fingers crossed 2021 we can um, head back to Vietnam.
1: That's awesome. Like, was that the first language you learned outside of English? Or
2: As an adult, yes. I'd done some language learning at school. Um, so my main language that I'd done at school was Japanese and French as well, but Japanese um, was my main language. And then Vietnamese was probably the first language that I really kind of chose and got into as an adult. I think there's a difference somehow between languages you learn as a kid through school and then kind of
1: language as an adult Okay.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think there's a there's a big difference between the the languages that maybe are sometimes forced on you at school <laughs> um, oh, and really and ones that you you know you really decide, you make a conscious decision in, in your life to, to learn them, um, you know, from for a very specific motivation. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with Penny on that. <laughs>
1: now, now, I'm just curious, that either one of you go to school? I know when I went to school, I went to school for theater and film. I took Spanish in community college. It wasn't my actual direct choice of language because um, I wanted to choose, like, French or Italian or Russian, but they didn't have it. They only had like a semester of like French and Italian. They didn't have like uh, you know from beginning to end, all four semesters of it, and I um, didn't want to take two buses to go to the west side of Cleveland just to take two semesters of French I mean uh, Russian. So I wound up taking Spanish because you know it was back to back, but it was not my first choice. I mean, now, I like the culture elements of Spanish. I just didn't like speaking it as much. Like, I like the music, the food, the dancing, the people. I just didn't like speaking the language, per se, like having a conversation. Because um, here in the States, Spanish is forced on you a lot, because we have such a large um Latin American um population here. Yep. overall and so that's the first thing that you hear is spanish french german and there's so many other languages and people that like for me i I was the polar opposite i wanted to do french italian russian arabic anything but spanish but i yeah <laughs> something different right, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> not even against the, the the latin community at all i mean i have my godmother's half black half latina but I just, I wasn't feeling it like that. I mean, I felt it for the music, but I didn't feel it like, let me have a conversation. So I liked it in other ways, but I didn't like it in the way that they wanted me to. I mean, I did very well, but I just, I, I just wasn't motivated like I would have been if I were to have taken French or Italian or Russian or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just curious. Oh yes. Um, did did you two both take linguistics or language in university? Um, or did you have like s- different areas of study you took when you were at uni? Um,
0: uh, was, well, Penny, I'll let you answer that best. one first. <laughs> <laughs> we spoke at the same time. I feel like yours uh, is it. Yours is a better answer. Sorry, no. <laughs>
2: Well, the short answer is yes, you know. My degree was actually a languages degree, an arts languages degree, and I did have to do some linguistics as part of that too. And I say have to because at the time I really didn't enjoy it, and I think maybe now I'd love to go back and have a little go at some more linguistics. I think maybe my mind might be in a better place for it. Now I think back then I found it a little bit too scientific and a bit too dry. But I love the language component of my degree. So I did um, Vietnamese and Japanese in my university degree.
1: Now, that's awesome. I wasn't thinking about that. I think I changed my major like seven times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Before I even like came up with, oh, I started out as a political science major. Then I went to Spanish. Then I went to... English. And then I was like screw it. I'll just do theater. and I did <laughs> theater. Lovely. Yeah.
2: Um Beck, yours was a bit interesting too, wasn't it? Cuz it wasn't a straight yeah. kind
0: of Mine was different. yeah, a little but <laughs> was a little more different, not quite as languages focused. Um so I actually studied engineering. Um I did that for 6 years something it feels like such a long time ago now um and but while while I did my engineering degree I I did a diploma in like a concurrent diploma in French as well so I kind of still had a languages component of my mm-hmm. of my university experience and I was um pretty involved with the French club at my at my uni too so um we used to have a bit I guess there was a bit of a social aspect to that as well um mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, it certainly wasn't the main, the main part of my, um, of my uni studies. Um, although it now I look back on that and it, it stuns me because I, (laughs) I sort of, I can't believe I didn't do more languages at uni now. But it's, um, you know, it's one of those things that you work out over time. I think I always felt like, um, languages would be something that was kind of an additional extra. Um, mm-hmm. like they would be helpful and kind of like a hobby, but probably wouldn't necessarily be my, like a, a, a major part of my career. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I also had a lot of trouble deciding what to do before I. Um, before I even just well, before I even started uni, I mean, I had no idea what I wanted to study at uni really. And when I started to when I started by doing engineering, it was kind of a well, I'll just I'll just start with this and and kind of hope it works out. Um, <laughs> and I, I ended up just kind of carrying it through right to the end. But when I started working, I I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do that for my whole life. Um, and at the same time, I was very much rediscovering my passion for languages, and so it sort of went from there.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I I got back into the language learning groove about five years ago. Um, I decided, oh, well, let me see how well I remember my Spanish from, like, 13 years ago. And um, because I continued to listen to a lot of music in Spanish, and I still do today. And um, I was better at the grammar. My vocabulary was okay, but I was better at the grammar so I could correct people's mistakes when they're speaking their pronunciation all and I, I learned everything by ear. This is before like the internet was like jumping. It was like two thousand, two thousand and one. Um uh, I was like twenty three. So and I'm going on forty three now. I'm about to be in about twenty five days. Mm-hmm. So so um I decided, oh, I'm gonna just take these two com uh, conversational courses through Hatley School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Which is a distance learning uh, school. You can; it's all free. And I took the course, and I finished both of them in like nine weeks. And the instructor was like, "You took Spanish before, didn't you?" I was like, "Yep, (laughs) about thirteen years ago." And Mm -hmm. I I wound up getting like a B plus in the course. And she was like, "You can study just about any language you wanted to." Oh my God, you're really good. And um, I decided I'm going to do Russian. So I just found a podcast, um, Mark Thompson's Russian Made Easy. Went through that like a week because it was like 30 30 episodes. And then I just went nuts and was like, oh, I need more. And then I did Michelle Thomas, um, the whole Russian course. And I just started listening to like President Putin on
0: uh,
1: Russian TV. and, And actually I had to pick somebody to listen to. And I just liked his voice and the way he spoke. Because a very good speaker. I mean, you might not agree with us politics, but overall, I learned a lot. And I just picked a podcast, a political podcast. I wanted, and then I, I went for the gamut: Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, you know, Pushkin. Um, and I found other people, other directors that I liked, Andrea Zvyagintsev, and I I just started like consuming like tons of information. Auditorially, And um, I spoke for a whole year and recorded videos on Facebook and just posted it. And then I became known as the blind chick that spoke Russian. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm visually impaired. I do have some partial vision. And so then I, I did 5,544 hours worth of listening of nothing but Russian in the background from 6 a.m. to midnight every day. And I didn't realize until after, like, three years or so, two and a half, I I had gotten up to a C1 without even trying. Wow. I spoke to my ex-boyfriend's mother, who speaks nothing but German and Russian, which I I advise anybody, if you want to test your knowledge of a language, speak to somebody that don't speak English. Mm. In your target language, you will find you know more than what you realize. Because you're forced to to use what you have right in front of you, you can't use English because they don't speak it, so I did that for three hours and we we talked about food and we talked about family and we talked about I showed her what I was cooking and I was making her laugh, and I didn't know every idiom and I you see know what I'm saying, but it was such a breath of fresh air I felt. Like, all the time I put into it, it was, like, the greatest reward. And then I said, well, this works for me, you know. And now I I tell my students all the time, you know, just find stuff you enjoy. Try to do as much listening as you possibly can so you can get the sound of the language in your head. Speak as much as you possibly can, even if you make mistakes, because you'll wind up correcting yourself. The more you you become aware of the language and how it works, and uh, switch up your um, language learning material. You know, um, you know, if you don't feel like buying stuff, go to all your, go to your library. Um, you know, there are a lot of free courses online, um, and you know, it seems to work for a lot of my students. And you know, I've even switched up my own language learning by learning how to cook in the target language. Like right now I'm learning Irish and Swahili because they're um, heritage languages in mine. I found that I have a quarter Irish in my bloodline. and I have some um, Bandu tribe um, heritage in my um, bloodline. So they speak Swahili over there. So I'm learning some Swahili, basic Swahili using Mango and um, basic uh, Irish using Michelle Thomas Irish in the Mango app. And I didn't think that I had any connection at first when I started learning Irish. And now it's like, wow, you know, I mean, I'm only doing it for a little bit. I'm not, you know, my whole goal is not to become native, just enough to, you know, have a conversation, express how I feel like in an upper beginner level. And that's it. And then I'm going back to Arabic. But I, I tell people that all the time, um, I don't know if you've experienced that, where you, you learn a language for a small portion of time, you know, just because you want a taste of it. I mean, you don't necessarily want to be highly proficient at speaking it like a native would, which would take years to accomplish, depending on the language and how much time you got. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have, have, have dabbled like that.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely have. Um and I think I think Penny has too. Um we actually we actually did a little episode on our podcast about dabbling, um not too long ago. But yeah, no, I think I think dabbling is awesome and I think it's really great because actually these days it's easier to dabble than ever. I think we have um just like you said before, the stuff that's available online now is um is well, there's there's a lot of it. Um, And and all kinds of content too that can, you know, keep you engaged and keep you interested even if it is just for a short period of time, whether it's, you know, listening content like podcasts and, you know... Um, videos and stuff which combine both listening and reading maybe, um, you know, any apps that will give you sort of an introduction but you don't have to take them much further than that, like just short, short amounts of, of content to to help you learn maybe some of the basics or just, just a little bit just to give you a taste. Um, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with just taking something on for a little while and then saying that was my goal just to learn a little bit and to know more than I did before um, rather than like I'm, you know, aiming for fluency in, in every every language I ever learn.
1: <laughs> Which would take forever. And I, I think a lot of people, I, I see that on Twitter a lot where people are just like, hitting their heads over the wall mentally because they missed the grammar point or they <laughs> order the food right. I was like, okay, I can tell you from ordering food in multiple languages, they don't care if you mess up. They're happy that you're trying to speak their language in the first place. Yeah, it's just sure. you're doing the best you can. that's Because in reality, you don't have time to look on your phone and be like, guess what? <laughs> I need to um, look up this grammar point real quick. They need to know what you want because they have other customers to serve. So, you know, I I, I bring that home a lot, and, and and people are like, "Well, you're absolutely right. You're talking with more sense than what we got at the moment." I was like, "You're trying too hard to be perfect, and a language is a language. I mean, English is my first language, and." I can tell you how many times I mess up grammar in my own language just speaking it. I mean, you're, this no this thing is perfect speaking, you know. And I think a lot of, a lot of ESL learners I've taught, they, that's the thing that they do. Oh, I need a grammar book. Uh, no, you don't. You need to find stuff that you like in your target language. And you need to reproduce it in the language that you're learning. Like English, there's so much information, it's ridiculous. You, it, it, you want to get better at speaking English. Well, find somebody to mimic. Find someone that you like, like a celebrity or, you know, like someone said they learned English from Japan. Japan they were Japan, Japanese, and they watched all of President Obama's speeches, and that's how they learned English.
0: Oh wow, that's a great way to learn English. <laughs> if, if I if I could speak English like like President Obama, <laughs> just by just by watching his speeches, like wow, what a what a method. Right, right. And I, I, <laughs> they
1: they actually put they actually made an app so the, so you can learn how to speak like that. Really, wow. I, I was like, that's like freaking awesome. I mean, but see, it does work. You just have to find who inspires you, or you know who you want to. I mean, even in the U.S., there's different accents. I mean, half the time, people think I'm from California, even though I lived in California for a little bit, but I'm not from California. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. I live in Akron, Ohio, which is 50 minutes south of Cleveland. But because of the way I speak, you know, I don't sound like I'm urban African American woman from Cleveland, you know, it was like, "Well, you sound, I sound, well read, highly educated." Yeah, It uh, was <laughs> like, "You don't sound black." I'm like, "Well, I am." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I know. laughs> yeah. So I mean, for me, for me, it's you know, I I always tell people that you know, find find something or someone that you want to emulate like as far as how they speak now I did have someone ask me I teach them Ebonics and I told them I refuse because you would never get a job trying to speak Ebonics and I said it used to be popular in the late 90s they actually had a college course at Berkeley about it but I was like uh, no honey you don't want that (laughs) unless you want to get fired (laughs) on your first day No, I mean I don't even know Ebonics, but the point is, I like that tip
2: about um, yeah, choosing someone to emulate. I think that's a really good, really good tip, especially um, especially when you're starting out, or even if you're like just dabbling and sussing out whether it's a language that you might want to commit to in the future. Having someone that you can listen to and start to. To mimic, I think, is yeah, it's a really good tip, Chanel. You're giving me some food for thought now because I'm like, hmm. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, I guess
1: because I've dabbled in so much, I mean, like, okay, I have high levels in like Italian, Dutch, and French. Like, I can read Les Miserables in French. And people are like, Why would you want to? I was like, because it's my favorite book of all time, next to Great Expectations and War and Peace. So for me, like, I just, you know, I've I've read it in in English. I've watched all the movies that they have of it, all the different versions. I even watched the, what was it, 12 to 16-hour BBC version they had, like, two years ago. (laughs) I mean, I just watched it from beginning to end. And, I mean, I was rooting for Natasha... And Maria and all of them to, like,
0: live through <laughs>
1: the whole thing. You know, and so when her and Pierre got together at the end and Nicholas got with Maria and...
0: Oh, don't give it away. Don't give it away, Chanel. Oh, Oh, yeah. oh sorry. <laughs>
1: but, but, I mean, I, I just watched it in English, and then I'm sitting here like, now I can understand it after, you know, two and a half, three years of Russian. I actually understand Tolstoy in Russian. And I mean, when I started, when it clicked in my head, because you can actually feel that. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Where you, you felt your head click. When you are learning something and it just all comes together. Like, I actually had that yeah. happen to me a couple times. And with, 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 when I knew I was highly proficient was when I was able to understand Tolstoy. And speak for three hours. That said something to me. I was like, wow. Now I know I'm, I, I've, I've arrived, you know, because Tolstoy is hard for English speakers. So, like, even Russian friends of mine were like, why the hell do you want to read this? We, we, we only read the first chapter. I was like, wait a minute. You have one of the greatest literary geniuses on the face of the planet in your country. And you mean to tell me you've never read all of War and Peace? They were like, are you crazy? <laughs> so you <were> like, uh. <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I love it. You know? It's almost like reading the Bible. You read it about three times. You would have read the Bible. It's three thousand pages. <laughs> they started laughing. He was like, look, I'd rather
0: read that. I'm like, no, I'd rather read. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about what you're. It's all about what you're interested in, right? I mean, right. for you, yeah. It's like it, for you, if you know, great literary classics uh, are your jam, then that's the perfect way for you to be able to practice and also for you to be able to, I guess, measure as well your 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 ability to um, to use the language that you're learning too. You know, for other people, it will be if they love a particular series on Netflix, um, then, right. you know, that, that might be their, their goal for being able to understand and, um, and listen and, and, um, you know, and be able to replicate parts of You know, maybe the speech or the pronunciation of people in that, in that television show, because that's what, that's what gets them motivated and that's what gets them interested. But as you said before, it's all about finding, finding who and what and what keeps you interested. What do you want to replicate? What, what, how do you want to be able to speak this language that you're learning and why, why have you been motivated by it in the first place? Um, you know, what, what about it made you, made you interested and made you think, I want to be able to do that. Um, and as long as you can remember what those things are in your mind, then you'll always be able to come back and go, oh, you know, I'm feeling a bit bored and I'm a bit you know, I don't want to do any, any learning today. I'm kind of done with this. Oh, no, wait. Do I want to be able to watch that, like, episode one of, <laughs> of of my favorite TV show in German? And do I want to be able to understand every part of it? Yeah, I totally do. So maybe I'll just go and watch that again, and it will get me motivated again. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, really important.
1: I, with, with technology being as advanced as it is now, especially if you're someone that's visually impaired like me that has limited readable vision out of one eye, um. I have seen technology change so much in the past five years as far as language learning. Because there were times when I couldn't Mm -hmm. find hardly anything that was in an accessible format for me because, you know, I just didn't have access to it. Like, I would be envious of everybody that lived in Europe because they had everything at their fingertips here in the U.S., we're not as lucky in that regard. You know, people like, well, oh, you're in the U S that doesn't know what, what? <laughs> no, we we might have something maybe in French, maybe in German, Spanish. Yes. A high, a high quality of stuff. I mean, now we are starting. Mandarin's becoming popular. Japanese is becoming popular. Vietnamese is actually, we have a large Vietnamese population here in the U S in certain states. um, you know, uh Somali and you know, Dari, Urdu, Arabic, different dialects, Hindi is becoming popular. Um so a lot of the Asian languages, um uh, Middle Eastern, In um India, uh Latin America, um, you know, we I mean Russian and in, uh, you know Russian and like spanish and french italian a little bit but not as high as you know i mean the rest of them it's like okay well you have polish too but i mean i can pick certain languages that are like extremely popular where i know that they're high on the list like at least here where i live at in akron we have such a large community of people from the middle east and people from india And um, people from certain parts of Africa. And so like Spanish, French, Italian, Dutch, um, Urdu, Dari especially, Persian a little bit. But as far as like Mandarin, Cantonese, Thai, um, Japanese and Vietnamese and Korean, they're all popular in this town. All popular. And so like I know for me as a language learner personally, I had to choose what languages were going to be beneficial for me in my own community because I knew that I might not have the opportunity to travel to Asia or I might not be able to go to India. And I mean, if someone being visually impaired and having a guide dog, you know, I have to sit there and think about what country can I enter? What, what, what are my rights, you know, so forth and so on, because that's very, that's important when you're traveling and you're disabled, Um, you know, because there are certain, places where your rights are you don't have any yeah. and so if you're a woman and you're disabled and you have a guide dog you kind of got to look at the whole picture yeah. now coming over to New Zealand anywhere where it's westernized I probably wouldn't have a problem going over to Asia, Japan South Korea Um, Thailand, Hong Kong, yeah, I probably wouldn't have that big of a problem. Mainland China, I would be so restricted. So, you know, I have to look at those types of things. Like Pakistan, I might be able to go to. Don't know if I would. India, I got to be careful. Because they, they do shun some of... Some places do shun people that that are blind or visually impaired. So I I have to be careful where I go. And um, I mean, there are places I would love to go. Like I want to go to Lebanon. I would love to go to Israel. I would love to go to Egypt or um, Morocco, for instance, Jordan. But you see what I'm saying? Like there are things that. When I talk to my students, I say, you know, if you go over to another country, make sure you research your rights, the laws, you know, make sure your visas and everything, your medical records, your dog's records, whatever. Everything's lined up in a row because you you want to make sure you're you're all taken care of before you even step off of American soil, you know, just because of, you know. Human rights laws and disability rights, and you know the safety factor is is important to me, and you know when when I uh speak to people, you know I ask them all the time, I was like, okay, so what's it like in your country? If I were to come and visit you know like what what am I going to be looking at here? You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. just for my own safety mm-hmm. in general. And I mean, I've, I've had people say where they were turned around at the border because they didn't have all their paperwork in order with their visa just to enter the country. Mm-hmm. And they weren't even, they weren't even disabled. They were, you know, a regular person. And I said, this is why I, I make sure I learn all about this while I'm learning the language because you just don't know what you're going to be walking into. And you I suppose sure it, it. Yeah,
0: especially at the moment with so many things going online to um, help people who, well, to help everybody share information and knowledge um, while we all can't travel or really even in some cases leave like the house. Um, right. So I, I don't know if, um, Chanel, maybe you have made, uh taken advantage of, of any online classes or anything like that. Um, actually right
1: now I haven't, I've been, um, I've actually been doing a lot of cooking. Um, a lot of working out since I can't really go anywhere. I mean, I can go to my doctor's appointments like as of next month here in this, here in Akron, but, um, I've been like to the dentist once and I've been to the grocery store like four times since this whole thing has started. And, you know, I mean, you have to be six feet distance, and they have, like, the the lines on the floor indicating the markers, indicating how far you back you have to be. You have to have ma- a mask on. I have a mask and latex gloves on when I go. I take my own grocery cart. Uh, people do help me go grocery shopping at work inside of the, uh, you know, and they are six feet away from me. So, you know, I do take all those types of precautions and everything. So, I mean, it's plexiglass between me and the cashier, you know? Um, So, I mean, that's the most I've done. Like, as far as my own study routine, I pretty much um, use Mango um, for my languages right now, the ones I'm studying. In the morning, I'll do, like... uh, uh, Michelle Thomas, because I just bought it last weekend. So I, I'll be in the shower, and I'll I'll be doing Michelle Thomas while I'm taking a shower. Kill two birds with one stone. And, <laughs> then, and then, I mean, because it actually does work. I mean, because you're, you're listening and you're repeating while you're, you know. I kind of like doing that because that way it gets in my head, you know. I'm able to do two things at once instead of just sitting there like a bump on the wall, about to fall asleep. So um I do that and then I'll practice like my Slahili which I gotta start chapter two tomorrow actually. Um uh like at night before I go to bed. And throughout the day I might do some light reading in like either Italian or French, like I'm i rereading El Petrino, um, The Godfather in Italian for a second time. And then um I'm still at the beginning of Les Miserables and uh, French. So, plus I watch movies with voiceover. So I have, um, I'll watch it in the target language. And then um, I'll have like a different subtitle in a different language. So if it's in French, I'll have it, I'll have the subtitles be in another language. So I'm going for two languages at once at the same time, especially if I know the movie already. So I could do like Bad Boys 2, for instance, with Arabic subtitles. And because (laughs) VoiceOver is reading it out loud, it's drowning out the English. So I'm able to focus on the words in Arabic. Are we lucky
2: Uh, nowadays? Mm -hmm. Any tools and things like this that we can access? Because Chanel, we're similar ages. I've I've just turned 40. So we are from a generation of pre- internet and pre-smartphones yeah. and those kind yeah. of things back in the 90s when we were in uh, high school. Um, and doesn't it make you laugh sometimes when you look back and think, gosh, language learning has changed so much, and now everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, and now it's, talking, it's become the opposite. Like, it's so overwhelming. You know, where do you start sometimes?
1: Somebody asked me that question. So what I do now is I'll give them a list of everything that I know personally that I've used. Like, yeah, I re- I remember I was um in the Fluent Language Learners for Kirsten Cable Group. I'm still in it, and I um she asked a question about what new tools are you using to learn languages. So I just I just gave all the stuff I learned with, and and I was like there might be courses, but that's what's accessible with my software, because when you're using like text to speech software is not always one hundred percent accessible with the app that's been created for the general public. So yeah. like Drops looks Drops is a beautiful app, don't get me wrong, I love the way it looks. But it's not accessible. I can't use it.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, mm. so And so until someone likes you like he says that, like we you know, I would never know whether it's accessible or not because I haven't had to, to try. So I think that's really important that you right. You know, make us all aware of that stuff. Because yeah, otherwise. absolutely.
1: Right, because I mean, like for instance, I I use the um, Memories app, and I've been using that since 2015. And I mean, like I it it helped me. Like I I went through like six courses of uh Russian by by itself, and then I went through the first the first year of Japanese in like a month. Now, I mean, you know, it has three different alphabets, you know, kana, heavy hiragana, and kanji. So you, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm listening to all of this. Now, mind you, I don't remember a lot of it, <laughs> but I went through the whole thing. And people are like, "Do you know how hard that is?" I'm like, "Well, it, you know, I was, I was, I wanted to finish. <laughs> I wanted to finish my streak." So that's why I went through the first first I mean, and then I went and I did, I I reviewed the uh, Michelle Thomas um, Japanese uh, Foundation and and Intermediate course. And I went through the first, the foundation course in like seven hours just because I I wanted to test my brain. And I do that sometimes. I'll test my brain just to see how fast I can learn something. And that doesn't mean I'm going to remember it all but I just want to see how fast I can do it. I actually learned beginner Hindi in six days using Mango because it was only 10 chapters, but I was so into it that I couldn't stop. Yeah. It's um, really
2: impressive. Your, your discipline.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, there are days when I become lazy
0: and, 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 (laughs) um,
1: but I will say this, I've, because I've dabbled or I've tried a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I mean I I've, I've, I've met so many cool people from around the world and people accepting me for me despite me being visually impaired and you know that's the first thing I ask, I asked all the time. Well, do you read braille? Well, yes, um I do. Um now I'm not the fastest braille reader with a with a braille um device, but I mean if it's a hard copy of a braille book, you know, if I it might take me a while to read it. Like I read The Hobbit in like two weeks, but it was like four hundred and fifty nine pages in braille, but it was two hundred and seventy two in print. So, I mean, but I I couldn't stop reading it because it was it was that good.
2: Hmm, that's so cool. Um, I'm gonna have to duck off in a second, Chanel, but I've really loved chatting. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's been really nice to chat Chanel. Thanks for inviting us inviting us along. Ada.
1: I'm sorry. Um my um my iPad likes to be like, okay, it's time for you to, you know be on a timer. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, to make all of short, I, I really, um, I do know how to read in like seven different languages, but that's because they're similar to each other. So I can read Spanish Braille, French Braille, Dutch Braille, um, Italian, Russian, um, unified english braille and american english braille i have not learned arabic or any of the asian um, braille codes as of yet i i might learn arabic just because um i mean i did learn the levantine arabic alphabet but you have to learn msa so in order to be able to read um in arabic so I mean, I I don't I mean my my display which is like a three thousand dollar display, um I can read, I can put it into like Mandarin and Korean, Japanese, and I think oh Arabic I can do that too, and then the rest of the European languages, like Swedish, um not Dutch or Norwegian I I got a, a Danish I know Dutch. And, you know, your romance languages in Russian. But if I were to put my display with um, a, a like, if the language was written out, like, like let's say it was Indonesian, then I would be able to read Indonesian Braille because it's written in that language. So I can read just about every Braille code there is on Earth. Wow. With, with my wow. iPad. Well they but they just made braille tables for all these languages. I mean they even have all the languages over in India. Yeah. Like twenty two. I'm like Yeah. Really? It's that I mean, but it's it's a cool thing because now people can become literate. And that's what I think people fail to realize. Braille is not a language, it's a communication tool for reading, writing, mathematics, science. You know, you'll be able to be literate. You know, you'll be able to read with your fingers, but there are some people that can't read with their fingers because of diabetes. Um, you know, um, their, their sensitivity to touch has been kind of stripped away because, you know, they have to take blood every two day, every, twice a day, you know, for their sugar level and all of that. So they lose the sensitivity in their finger in order to be able to read Braille. So a lot of people wind up, um, Oh, wow. I've learned so
2: much. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast, oh, you're Chanel. Um, oh, yeah, thanks,
0: Chanel. Well, yeah, it's it's funny. I have learned. learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> but, but I to have make to step now. Yeah. They, to
1: make a long story short, though, um, a lot of people use audio because they, they can't afford Braille, and they can't afford Braille instruction either unless it's taught in school from, like, the beginning. But if you were like me, where you're partial, you have some residual vision, you could still read large print, and I could at one time. I no longer can anymore. Um, I see the bigger picture, not the smaller picture. So if I came to Sydney, for instance, yes, I could see the Sydney Opera House, but I couldn't tell you the address, if that makes any sense to you guys. Yeah. So, kind of. So... <laughs> so, so for instance, like I can see everything around me out of one eye, but I can't see the small details. So if it's further than five feet in front of me, distance wise, you can forget it. But I'm very good at, you know, being able to navigate and in the daytime, I'm better in the daytime than I am at night traveling. So even if I have my guide dog, I'm not a comfortable person when it comes down to traveling. And I just don't like it. it I don't feel safe. So, and then if you don't have anything to do at night, why go out? <laughs> so, uh, for me, um it, it, I was mostly a, a large print reader up until I was 29, and I could read print still on the computer up until I was 32, and then I used a magnifier, a video magnifier up until I was 36. Then I lost, like, a lot of my, my, my readable vision. Okay. Okay, okay. So, to make a long story short, um, I was, um, fo- um, forced to do more audio now than ever. So, that's why I'm able to learn stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, that's why I'm able to pick up languages and, and other things so quickly. Because of that reason, and that's why I I wanted to do my podcast show. Okay. Sure, sure.
2: You're an inspiration. (laughs) Ah, you've done
0: so well, Chanel. Chanel. Thank you,
2: thank
1: you so much
2: for coming on to the show. Thank you for
0: having us.
2: We'll chat again soon. I look forward to it.
0: Cheers. Bye bye. Bye -bye. Bye bye.